bursting biotech are these stocks buys? This is Industry Focus. Hey everyone, welcome to Industry Focus Healthcare Edition. I'm Christine Hargis, your host, and I'm here with our wonderful healthcare contributor, Todd Campbell. Todd, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. It's going to be an exciting show today. Absolutely. Ready to talk some biotech? Oh, yes. (laughs) You're always ready. So, pretty much what we were thinking for today's episode, some stocks have been hit harder than others over the past four weeks. And so, we wanted to take a look at some of biotech's worst performers over the past four weeks and just pick out a couple of interesting stories, talk about what looks like a buy, what maybe looks promising, but once you dig in, it isn't, um, and just kind of have a, a chat about some stocks that are of, of you know pretty good size that have been hammered recently. So we lined up for our conversation today, two stocks in the neighborhood of about two and a half billion market cap and one Goliath at 150 billion. Any listeners already know who I'm getting at? Uh, I don't want to hold you in suspense for too long, so we'll start there with Gilead Sciences. So Gilead shares are back down in the $100 range, which represents a 12% drop over the past month. Todd, what's going on here? Should we give up on Gilead? <laughs> no, I mean anybody who has you know, listen to us chat before, knows that we like Gilead. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, here's a company that is a market leader. It's a dominant player. And I think the temptation is for, um, you know, investor to paint a broad brush stroke across the entire industry and say, listen, we don't want to have any risk. We don't want to own any of these companies. But Gilead isn't like a, a investing in a clinical stage, you know, company. This is a company that's already the market share leader and has been for a decade in HIV treatment. And it's the market share leader in hepatitis C treatment, too. You know, this, this is a company that generates a tremendous amount of, of revenue and profit for shareholders. And it's trading at an even better valuation than it was a month ago, which I would have argued a month ago was still cheap. Yeah, we were absolutely calling it cheap a month ago. And now when you look at it, it's incredible how inexpensive this really awesome company looks. I mean, you're you're looking at a, a trailing P ratio of, what, 11 or so. Um, once you start looking forward, you're at a forward PE of under nine, single digits. Yeah, I mean, everybody's betting that, you know, competitors are going to come in and, you know, the, the last quarter they combined hepatitis C um, sales were running at an annualized rate of about 20 billion. So people are saying, okay, well, if AbbVie launches Vicarapac, which they did, and it didn't really slow down Gilead much, um, and Merck comes out with one, and Bristol Myers is developing one, and J&J is working with people on one, well, then what's going to happen to Gilead's market share in the future? It's going to shrink, and that's going to weigh down uh, growth and, and profit. So why pay up for earnings? Um, and it, it, think- it makes sense that this is something that people are worried about because Gilead's got a 90% market share of all hepatitis C patients. I mean, this is a really big revenue driver for them. They treated 130,000 patients just in the first half of 2015. So it makes sense that if that were to disappear, it would be a big threat to the company. Yeah, here's the problem with that thinking. You're assuming that the pie is going to be the same size. You know, that you've got this 10-inch pie and that it's not going to become a 20- or 30-inch pie. Um, you know, with there's 150 million people globally with hepatitis C. There's 3 million here in the U.S. and we've treated, you know, maybe 200 or 300,000 of them. Um, this is a, 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 an incredibly large patient population. 
And I think that barriers to entry uh, for patient treatment are, are falling and will continue to fall. And that's going to create, you know, a much larger market opportunity that then can be split amongst the different players. And with these new players, do you think that anybody's going to come out with a better drug? I mean, I, I know Gilead's working on some new drugs, but I know that there are also some other players that are looking to overtake Gilead and produce the best drug out there to treat hepatitis C patients. Sure. I mean, a lot of people thought that Vicarapac was going to really put a dent into uh, Harvoni's sales and Genotype 1. Um, yes, you know, Vicarapac is, is selling well, but it's it's really not getting the traction maybe that people, you know, worried over. Um, Abby has a, another pan-genotype drug in trials, a two-drug combination that it's developing that it hopes will do better. Uh, Merck has an FDA decision pending um, for its hepatitis C drug, which I think could pose the biggest threat to the current generation of, of Gilead drugs. Um, but the re you know, but Gilead isn't just sitting still. You know, they're doing their own research into creating their own next generation drug as well. Data from that should come out this quarter, supporting a filing, and then if that goes well, then it's going to have its next gen next generation drug on the market next year too. So, I, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that Gilead's going to not be the dominant player in the space a year or two from now. And what about? HIV. Do you think that they're going to continue to dominate that space just as much? This is a huge cash cow for the company. I mean, it, you know, HIV does more than $10 billion, uh, is responsible for $10 billion in sales for Gilead a year. They've got five different drugs that are going to do more than a billion dollars each. Uh, they just uh, are, are rolling out a new slate of drugs that include um, a reformulation of variant, a very popular uh HIV drug that's losing patent protection in a couple of years that solidifies their patent portfolio now into the late 2020s. I, you know, HIV is going to remain uh, an important part of their business. It's going to provide them with plenty of cash flow. Um, you throw in Hep C on top of that, and you've got a company that's got you know 14 billion dollars in cash and growing uh, every quarter. That gives you a lot of room for innovation. Yeah, innovation and potentially acquisitions too. And this is another thing that. I'd be remiss not to mention about Gilead Sciences is how smart they have been with their capital allocation in the past, and we all hope going forward as as shareholders. So their CEO, John Martin, is this huge intangible asset to the company, given how smart he is about these acquisitions. And the one that everybody always thinks of is the 2012 Pharmaset acquisition, which netted them Savaldi. It seemed expensive at the time, $11 billion. But then Savaldi goes out and sells $10.3 billion just in its first year on the market. So this was clearly a really, really smart move on the part of the company, particularly given that Savaldi is a component of Harvoni, which sold $2.1 billion just in its first quarter on the market. But then even before that, if we go back over into HIV, if we look at one of the key parts of most of Gilead's combo HIV regimens, this drug was actually acquired in 2003 for only $464 million from a company called Triangle Pharmaceuticals that uh, uh, Gilead acquired. Since then, drugs containing emtricitabine, which is this, this key component that they got from Triangle, have sold $50 billion in total. Now, like, let me just say that again. They bought Triangle for $464 million. This drug has been part of combination regimens that have sold $50 billion since then. So we can only imagine that with Gilead sitting on all the cash that they have, 
they're going to do something pretty smart with it. And I can't wait to see what it is. And it may be something that we totally don't expect. Exactly. So we can go on about Gilead forever, but we had a couple other companies that we have lined up that we wanted to chat about today. Um, let's move over to a company called Insys. Todd, what are you thinking with Insys? They, uh, they've gotten hammered recently. I think they're down 27% in the past four weeks. What do you think? You know, one of the reasons I want to talk about this company is because it's a great example of how, you know, if market hype gets a hold of a particular stock, it can send it to, you know, highs that may or may not be justifiable. And, you know, the, the piper, if you will, is being paid, arguably, with the decline in, in Insys shares. Um, what I think is interesting about this company, though, and I think that you're going to slightly disagree with me on it, is I think that the hype surrounding the potential for this company to develop marijuana drugs is actually, it's a side note. It's not really what the reason why you should own or consider buying this, these shares. And because of that, I think the selling in, in the company is, is getting overdone. And I think that there's a lot more potential for upside because you know, this isn't a clinical stage company that's counting on marijuana to, to drive its, its future growth. It already has one approved drug that's doing more than $200 million in, in sales annually. It's got another one awaiting FDA approval that, you know, will be targeting a, a market that's $150 million plus and growing. And it's got the potential to develop others uh, drugs and launch other drugs in the next couple of years, uh, too. Yeah. So I, I would agree with you that of companies that people might think of as marijuana stocks, this is definitely one of your best bets. You know, it's trading on a reputable exchange. That's like huge in the world of marijuana penny stocks. But I still definitely do think that there's a lot of emotion at play here. There's a lot of people that are looking to invest on these quote unquote marijuana stocks and they look at Insys and they look at their research and say, oh man, like this this could be huge here. But you're absolutely right that the real story behind this company is not their marijuana research. Um, One of the things that concerns me, though, about it is just how expensive it it is. I mean, even when you look at Subsys, this is a drug that's on the market and there's the company that's cash flow positive, but barely. You know, I, I just I don't see how Subsys's relatively minor success can sustain this massive valuation. Well, I would argue that the valuation isn't necessarily too out of whack relative to, say, a GW Pharma, which is a pure play uh, in the marijuana space. You, you know, you've got a company that, you know, subsist sales were up 40% in the second quarter. So it gives you a $280 million, uh, run rate uh, just for that one drug. Um, if they can get, say, $100 million from oral Marinol, um, if that gets approved next year, then you're trading at you know less than ten times uh, revenue. And then if they can roll out any other drugs on top of that, then you know you get a valuation maybe that's going down to five to seven times sales. Not cheap, but again, in the world of biotech, having a company that is generating any profit um, and the potential to continue to grow profit that's debt free and is seeing its cash balance grow. For my money, I, I think that makes it an intriguing one. All right. One more point that I want to bring up, and I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts. Is this a concern to you? Their short float is 62%. Do you think that represents a risk or an opportunity or something to ignore? What, what are your thoughts there? Investors always overshoot. They overshoot on the upside when they get caught up in the 
and the, the hype behind marijuana. And similarly, they're getting caught up in the hype on the downside as well. Um, I think a lot of people who go out in short stocks thinks that marijuana plays are overdone. And as a result, they said, okay, well, this is a marijuana play, let's short it. Um, granted, that's not the only reason people are short. People are also short because they're worried that, you know, the FDA is cracking down on makers of opiate pain medicines like Insys Subsys. And if, you know, attorney generals in various states decide that Insys has been uh, recommending these drugs off-label, which, you know, there, there have been some concerns that have been raised, um, then that could result in some problems for the company too. Um, but I really just think that when it comes to pain medication, especially people who are dealing with cancer pain or acute post-operative pain, these drugs are important. And yes, you want to get rid of, you know, the people who are abusing them, okay, and doctors who are prescribing to abusers. But you're not going to want to get rid of these drugs. The demand for them will remain and will probably continue to grow, unfortunately, as an older population gets diagnosed with more cases of these diseases. Yeah, I, I definitely see your point there. One thing that I would worry about in addition to these drugs being completely taken off the market is what I think would be the more likely case, which is that there are just going to be so many settlements with state attorney generals if these sort of issues with doctors off-labeling the drugs and, and, and potentially insist marketing for this off-label use continues. I mean, early in August, uh, the company settled with Oregon's attorney general for $1.1 million for marketing subsists for non-cancer neck and back pain and uh, th- things that the drug is not approved for. Total Oregon subsist sales during the time of that investigation were only a little over 500000 So you're paying a, a fine of twice what the sales only ever were. And I, I could see that potentially being a big problem for the company. It's absolutely a risk, um, but I think they'll be able to manage their way through it. All right, so let's move on to our last company for today. Uh, This is an immuno-oncology company that holds a lot of intrigue, but maybe a couple of question marks, too. So they're called Kite, and they are down 26% in the past four weeks. Todd, what do you think? Well, we're just talking about media hype surrounding marijuana. Now let's talk about media hype surrounding next-generation cancer cures. Um, Kite Pharmaceuticals is one of the companies that's working on something called CAR-T, cancer immunotherapy, where essentially they're withdrawing blood from uh, a patient uh, who has cancer. They're engineering um, the T cells that are part of the immune system to be able to recognize a protein that gets expressed by the cancer. And then they're putting those uh, T cells back into the body to go after, find, and destroy those cancer cells. And in theory, that's awesome. I mean, any way that we can approach a a novel way of treating cancer warrants a lot of excitement. I mean, we're re-engineering the immune system to better fight and destroy cancer cells. So you know, you could not have imagined uh, 20 years ago where we would have come in research on cancer. And we are, it's exciting. It is so exciting. And I really do hope that these CAR-T developers succeed. Um but I have some big concerns when it comes to going out investing in them, even at these lower prices as they're falling. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you there. 
Kite's most advanced drug is still in phase one trials, and yet this company sports a $2.2 billion market cap. It's previously gone up to a valuation of 3.8, I, th- I think is the highest that I've seen. But you have to remember, 90% of drugs entering phase one never make it to market. And oncology is even less promising. 93% of these drugs will never end up making it onto pharmacy shelves. Right. You have to worry about toxicity. I mean, you know, you've got cancer is tough to treat and you've got to kill cells in the body to do it. And unfortunately, when you're killing cells in the body, it's still very, very hard to make sure that you're only killing the bad, unhealthy cells. And even though CAR T therapies promise to be more accurate, we still don't fully understand the potential off targets um, that could be impacted uh, by patients receiving them. Now, you know, so far, trials have shown really good response rates. Um, and that shouldn't be diminished, but we're still years away from being able to have these things on the market. And then the other concern that I have with this stock is just how competitive this whole marketplace is becoming. You know, this is, it's not like this is the only company that's developing a CAR-T therapy. There's a lot of other companies and researchers that are working on this technology. And I don't think that a bested class has emerged yet. And because of that, it's hard for me to say, you know, I, I can go out and buy Kite at $2.2 billion and, and it'll be a slam dunk. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you've got Bellicum, Xiopharm, even Novartis has got their hands in them. And personally, if I were to put my money on CAR-T therapy, I would put it in Juno. Uh, Juno is, again, working on this this new way of treating cancer. But the reason that I would say that of all of them, Juno could be your best bet is because of this massive deal that they just struck with Celgene. So Celgene, we've talked about plenty on the show. Basically, these guys know what they're doing. And they recently paid a billion dollars for a 10% stake in Juno and access to Juno's pipeline. I think they also include in there an option to take up to 30% more stake in Juno or total stake in Juno. Point is, this to me is an indication that Juno is a very promising company if CAR-T is to work out as a whole. Uh, this is a, a huge influx of cash. You've got so much marketing promise down the road if you're if you're right there with Celgene to market these drugs. And so to me, I would say that that is Celgene indicating to investors that Juno is the way to go in this field. You know, what's really interesting, too, about that deal is that I think that the, the value of the shares that Celgene acquired uh, breaks out to a share price in Juno that's somewhere around 90 bucks. You know, and what's the shares are now, what, 35? Yeah, I mean, that, that's tricky math there because, yeah, they paid a billion dollars for it. But then if you look at it, it's a 10% stake and it's also what they're getting from the pipeline. And so even though the press release stated that it's this many shares at this price, bottom line is they paid a billion dollars for a 10% stake plus a bunch of access to the pipeline. And so I, I personally, I think it's kind of hard to derive an estimated share price from that. Yeah, I understand. I think that that's a good that's a good point. I mean, they're putting up a lot of money, and the accounting of it can go in a lot of different ways. It could be for shares, it could be for this, it could be for that. Um, and you're right that the fact that they're taking the stake at all is probably more important than any particular price that's being awarded to the company. Um, yeah, I think Celgene, when they did the deal, they said that they think they they could have the first drug in front of regulators from the deal. Um, I want to say like around 2020, early 2020s. Um, so we're still a few years away again from seeing any, you know, real results coming out of CAR T that, that would, you know, I guess 
be able to be used by patients. Um, it's an intriguing space. I think it's one that we need to keep watching. I just think it's a little early in it, and I would rather see some phase two data and some safety data across a larger patient pool before stepping in buying any of them. I would agree. And of course, we want to keep our eye on the space just because that would be awesome to get these really, really effective drugs past all of the the, the trials and to the patients that need them the most. And so what I'm personally, I am really, really hoping that the safety data stands up and ends up being better than anything else out there. But for now, as investors, it might not be the best way to, to throw your money into this indication with a, a whole ton of hype around it just yet. So, Todd, thanks so much for weighing in here. Uh, folks, you know where we see opportunities, where we're staying clear. What do you guys think? What companies are on your radar during this sell-off? Let us know at industryfocus at fool.com. And before we close off, I would just like to make the reminder that we always have to say here, which is that people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about. The Motley Fool could have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks just based solely on what Todd tells you to do or I I suggest you do. Do your own research. Have fun with it. It's a really intriguing space. And there's a ton of great content on Fool.com. And of course, we'll be back next week to chat more healthcare. Todd, thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. And Fool on. Fool on.